0: Oh, well, good morning, Mill City Church. Oh, thank you, thank you. You are a little bit more awake than uh, the 9 a.m. Congratulations to you. Well, my name is Brayden, and uh, my wife, Abby, and I have called Mill City Church home for about a year and a half now. And uh, I'm honored to be opening up God's Word with you today. I serve on the student team here, and, and it's a privilege. So uh, I have a question for you, okay? Is there any hero that you have, or maybe somebody that you up, look up to, that maybe influenced you in a significant way, and then you've had the thought, I want to be friends with that person. Yeah? yeah? Like, like, have you ever been deeply impacted by somebody's words and actions, and then wondered what it would be like, maybe, to be friends with them? Yeah? yeah? Thank you. Well, there's this, there's this uh, brilliant Bible theologian that I would love to be friends with. Like, he's had a huge impact on my life. Very popular. Here's a picture of him right here. Just kidding, Grant. We made it. We're already friends. I'm just kidding. This is actually the picture. This is Tim Mackey. And he is the director of the Bible Project. And he's, he's had a huge impact on my life and my theology. And after, after listening to Tim Mackey, uh, the Bible kind of just is opened up in this brand new way for me. Uh, and it's beautiful. And so, you know, we can be deeply impacted by somebody's words and maybe be inspired by them. But being friends with them brings a whole other level of influence in your life, does it not? So we're in this series called Jesus Conversations, and we're looking at these moments between the sermons, maybe the more informal or spontaneous moments that Jesus has with his followers. And today we're going to look at a moment that I think highlights what it would have been like to be friends with Jesus by looking at an interaction between him and one of his friends, Peter. But before we do that, I think it's probably helpful for us to get on the same page about what friendship means, right? So naturally, I went and asked some of my friends and consulted Google to uh, find out what makes a close friend, right? And there are some common themes that started to come up about what makes a close friend. Here's what here's what a lot of people said. Uh, It's someone that you can talk to about everything. That's pretty important. How about this? Someone who loves you and who likes you. Pretty important. How about this one? Someone with whom you share a deep interest, right? Or maybe my personal favorite. Someone with whom you can be silent. The introverts in the room are like, isn't that every friendship (laughs) supposed to be like that? Well, a couple of months ago, uh, Pastor Aaron sat down with Dr. Hud McWilliams, and, and they, they, they were talking about community. And in, and in that, in that uh, conversation, they, they referenced a study that was done in 2018 by the University of Kansas. And essentially, what the study was trying to do was figure out what, uh, how long does it take to develop a close friendship? Any ideas of how long it takes to develop a close friendship? Just shout them out. Five minutes, Five minutes. coming from a kid, right? A month. a month? How many hours do you think? 100? 200? 10,000? All right. We'll be best friends in 10 years, okay? All right. (laughs) Buckle up, buddy. Well, it wasn't conclusive, but what they found was that anywhere from 140 to 200 hours of intentional time together is how long it took to create a close friend. That's a long time. If you spent two hours with somebody every week, it would take you a year and a half to develop a close friendship. But what was also really interesting about this study is that they discovered that while time was the best determinant about whether or not you would develop a close friendship, that was not the only thing that developed a close friendship. Because what they found is that coworkers and classmates did not automatically develop close friendships, even though they crossed that threshold of 140 to 200 hours of time spent together much quicker than other relationships. They found that there had to be another secret element, or the secret sauce, if you will. And what they, what they said is that, uh, they use this big old term, that, and it, it's called mutual self-disclosure. Now, if you're like me and you're like, uh, mutual self, what? What does that mean? I had to look this up and what it means. Basically what that means is they were real with each other. They were real with each other. So if, if you combine time together and being real together or mutual self-disclosure, that's what develops a close friend. So what on earth does that have to do with Jesus? Well, in looking at the scriptures, I think we're actually able to parse out and and understand and actually feel what it might have been like to be Jesus' friends. Because the beauty of the scriptures is that when we place ourselves in the story, we respond, we would respond much in the same way that the people around Jesus would have responded. So we don't necessarily exactly have to wonder, like, how would I, like, what would I do in this situation? Like, just look at what they did, and you're probably pretty close, So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 13, and this is in the Last Supper. It's the night before Jesus goes to his crucifixion. And in chapters 14 through 17, it's one of Jesus' most theologically rich teachings. It's basically his final download of wisdom to his disciples. But before he gets into this, he does something incredibly beautiful. Starting in verse 3, it says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, Oh, you shall never wash my feet. And Peter answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then Simon Peter says to him, Oh, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. (laughs) I have to stop and, and, and chuckle here for a second because, like, this is such a big statement, by Peter, right? He's like, oh, okay, so Jesus, if to be with you, if I got to be clean, then just like douse me. Like, just dunk tank me in your love, right? It's this big old grand statement that Peter makes to Jesus, and then, you know, like a day later, he denies that he ever even knows him, but (laughs) such is the way with friends sometimes, right? (laughs) Jesus' response to him is so wonderful. He says in verse 10, picking it back up, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Very practical, Jesus. But he's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me Lord and teacher, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know, there's so much theologically that we could explore in in just this one passage. But I want us to look at this interaction through the lens of friendship. Now, now a quick note about foot washing. If you're not familiar with foot washing in Jesus' time, it's literally so gross. Like, like, they walked around in sandals, and everything walked around, the camels, this, like, I won't go into detail, but it's gross, okay? And so washing, the washing of feet was usually delegated to, like, the lowest servant, right? The one who's on the bottom of the totem pole. This is the job that you give to the new guy, but not so with Jesus. Twelve times, Jesus stoops down on his knees, and he washes his disciples feet. And, and, and I don't think it was with this like, disgust on his face, and he was, like holding his nose, scrunched up. I think there's actually this kindness on Jesus' face as he's washing his disciples' feet. Because he knows this is his last few moments with them. And so he wants to distill, hey, this is my heart For you. Based on the rest of the Gospels, we get a beautiful picture and we can infer of what Jesus' heart was like for his disciples as he is doing this. And I think there's this kindness on his face. And I also want you to notice, too, whose feet he's washing. Right? In in likely less than 12 hours from this moment, Judas betrays him over to be crucified, betrays him. In less than 24 hours, Peter denies that he ever even knew him. Three times, vehemently. And then also in that same time frame, every single one of Jesus' closest disciples desert him, save one. So who on earth is this Jesus man who is serving and washing the feet of a bunch of guys who are about to abandon him, betray him, or deny him? And what does it show us about friendship? Well, you remember how I said I would love to be friends with Tim Mackey, Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to share this, but I went back and I I, I counted about how many hours I've spent uh, listening to Tim Mackey in his sermons or podcasts. And I've spent over 300 hours listening to Tim Mackey's voice. You know, if it were time alone that determined Tim Mackey's and I friendship, like we would be best friends two times over at this point. But, But there's something missing. There's no mutuality he does not know me. I've heard a lot and I've listened to him. He's even told personal stories about his life. So I even know some things about what's going on in his life, but he knows nothing about me. There is no mutuality between us. And, you know, I think in this room, actually, there, there, there might be some of us who have a Brayden and Tim kind of relationship with God. And honestly, it's easy like, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Like, it's easy in our modern, evangelical, kind of consumerist society to listen to the podcast, to listen to the sermon, to do the worship music, right, right, to consume or, 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 or take in all of this information about Jesus, but never know him. And even sometimes, like, Jesus never knows you. There's no mutuality. Ha, ha, has he ministered to you? Have you experienced the mutuality of Jesus' friendship with you? Have you allowed yourself to be loved by Jesus? You know, you might be familiar with Jesus' command in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 that says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples." Now, can I, get, um, can I get a little Bible nerdy for a second? Is, is that okay? I, I just really, honestly, I just want to make Tim Mackey proud. Yeah. Okay? So roll with me here, okay? The Greek word that Jesus uses in his command to love one another is the word agape, And it carries these connotations of a a selfless giving or or, or a selflessness. And it also has this idea of maybe like a social or a moral weight to it, right? You don't have to necessarily be feeling this kind of love to do this kind of love. So it has a, a preference for action, love in action and unconditionally. But there are actually eight different words in the original Greek language that is translated love in English. Eight different words. Agape is the most... Uh, most popular, it's the most prominent, and it's usually the word that is used when when Jesus is giving a command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love each other as I have loved you. Agape. But the second most popular word that's translated love is phileo, which has more of a affectionate kind of sense to it. It's a friendship kind of love. And maybe it has a a preference for the emotion or the feeling of love. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I love how he puts this. He's an author and martyr during World War II. He describes phileo like this. He says, Phileo love is the love of friendship and companionship, where hearts are united in a common purpose. In washing the disciples' feet, Jesus begins to marry these two ideas of agape and phileo by inviting his own disciples into a heartfelt, common purpose with him. He says, agape, love one another, phileo, like I have loved you. Jesus gives us the command and he tells us what to do, agape, but then he shows us the kind of love that we are to love one another with by the way that he serves his disciples and the way that he serves us. And Jesus connects these two ideas of love and friendship even further a little later in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. He says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. I wonder if it's hard for us to grasp the audacity of what Jesus is saying right here. He is saying, you you don't have to just relate to me as master and Lord, because yes, that is a true and accurate description of our relationship. But now because of what I am about to do, we can now be called friends. You can be called a friend of God because of what Jesus has done. And I am overcome with gratitude that God, in his love, would come to me? Not with a stick in his hand, waiting for me to mess up, or not with a smirk on his face to judge my sin, but with a basin of water and a towel to wash my feet. Would we not love as Jesus did? Here at Mill City, we have a weekly practice, and and I think it's gonna be something that we can do to start engaging in what this friendship of Jesus is like. Our weekly practice this week is going to be to serve someone who cannot return the favor. For some, this might be really easy. For some, this is going to be real hard. But Jesus says, you are my friends. How? If you do what I say. And and I wonder where you are in this room. Do you have more of a preference or, or tend towards the emotive expression of love with Jesus? That you can raise your hands and worship and say, yes and amen, Jesus and feel the love of God very easily, but maybe have a little bit of a harder time loving in action. Serve someone who cannot return the favor. Or, or maybe you're in this room and, and you have a little bit of a preference of the love in action. Like, yes, I can do the thing. I can, I can say the thing. I, I know what the right thing to do is, but like maybe there's this, there's this gap in your heart of saying, I'm kind of just doing it out of rote serve someone who cannot return the favor because the beauty of what we just witnessed jesus doing was he washed his disciples feet and even after that he went to a cross and he died for them you don't die for an enemy jesus did and then he called that enemy his friend and we are called now friends of jesus because of what he has done In a moment, we're about to take communion, and this is another way to engage in the friendship and love of Jesus because we get to remember his death for us. Because the truth of the matter, church, is that Jesus, yes, he went to the grave, but he ain't stay there. He is now currently alive in heaven. There is a fleshy heart in heaven beating on your behalf and praying for you. Jesus is actually praying for you right now. It says, the Bible says that he is interceding on your behalf as a friend. And so we have access to God through Jesus because of what he did. And if you're in this room and maybe you have never decided to cross this line of faith and say, man, like, like yeah, I want, I want a friend like that. Or, or maybe it's been a really long time. I'm gonna pray in just a moment and I would love for you to take that opportunity just to say under your breath, Jesus, I give you my life. Because the Bible says that if you express with your mouth what you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And so so saying this to God is an amazing first step to take in your journey with him. And then we're gonna take communion. But I think for all of us, one thing that we can do as we move on for this day is to ruminate on the beautiful friendship of Jesus and what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we're humbled and we're grateful that you will relate to us in such a way as friendship, that you gave us the example. You did not just tell us to love, but that you loved. That you did not just give us a command, but that you served. Wow. What a beautiful God that we serve. I pray, Lord, that you would would open up our hearts. You would help us marry these two ideas of agape and phileo, that we would both be able to love in action and in feeling. As we look at this broken world, God, you, you gotta do something. And so send us, Lord. Send us. We've been loved. We've been loved so greatly and so intensely and so completely Would you send us to love, God? Maybe would you bring people across our path that we can serve, that we can express this heart of Jesus towards. God, we give you so much praise for what you have done and what you are continuing to do in the spirit. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Amen.